0: The teams you care about.
1: Well, the Patriots have some soul-searching to do, and they've got a long off-season now to figure out the answers. The stories that matter to you. Well, UVM certainly put Stony Brook and the rest of the conference on notice with that performance, and now this is the team we wanted to see out of the Catamounts. This is your home. For New England sports. All right, football's over. Let's get the lockout over, too. Let's get to baseball. I need the Red Sox back.
0: This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV com.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show, full show here on a Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Dot com. All 90 minutes today, right up until 7 o'clock. We've got jazz with George Thomas at that time. Unfortunately, COVID issues have caused the postponement of Norwich hockey tonight against Middlebury. So we'll miss the cadets until Friday. But, hey, me for 90 minutes, jazz with George Thomas for a full show for two hours. Sounds still like a pretty good Tuesday here on DEV. We're going to talk for the final time this season with the voice of the Patriots, Bob sosi Hard to believe Coming to an end here, Bob. For the last time, one more time, with Bob Sosie coming up in about 15 minutes. We'll ask for his opinions heading into the Patriots' off-season. We also talk UVM athletics today on both men's hockey and men's basketball. We'll hear a little bit from former hoops coach Tom Brennan. You can get in as always on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line 802-585-3026. It's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Everybody, Lego.
2: Five.
0: Four, three, two, one. And
1: here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. With locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. We're going to take your opinions on this all throughout the show. But for me... The Patriots have one question they absolutely have to answer heading into the offseason. And for me, how they answer this one question will shape their entire offseason. So I ask you, what is the one question you think the Patriots need to answer most this offseason? I've got mine, and I'm going to tell that to you now. For me, the biggest question... Facing the Patriots this offseason. They have to figure out this answer. Who do they want to be offensively? That's the question the Patriots need to ask themselves. And when they come to that answer, they need to then attack that philosophy. Who do they want to be offensively? Because that answer will tell you everything else about the rest of their offseason. Because if you go into 2022 next year and you want to be a true run-based team, a power football team, then you've got things to do to address that. You did it pretty good this year. If you want to do it again but improve upon it, you've got more to do. And if you want to truly open it up for Mac Jones in the way that Buffalo opened it up for Josh Allen a couple years ago, then you've got another set of priorities this offseason. What do you want to be? Figure that out and then go be it. That's the question the Patriots need to ask themselves. Because if you want Mac Jones to be a true caretaker of the football again, a caretaker of the offense, then your priorities likely stem from re-signing Trent Brown and re-signing Ted Karras on the offensive line. If you want to be a power football team and zig while the rest of the teams are zagging, then... The offensive line is critical to what you do. Bring, you know, you're, you're looking at Trent Brown, Ted Karras, and then seeing what else is out there in free agency on the line front and seeing if they're better than the guys that you just had this year. But if you want to do what you did this year, but better, the offensive line has to remain good and has to remain healthy. So some of your resources would go there. If you want to be a team that is dominated by power football and by your, you know, where your running backs are a huge part of it, then you've got questions there too. James White's a free agent. Brandon Bolden is a free agent. What resources are you putting into your backfield that helps your team? Because are you getting another power back? To go with Harris and Stevenson and you bring in a third bulldozer there and you're just gonna run over everybody. Maybe. Are you getting what I would think if you want to be a run based team? Are you at least going to get the lightning to your fire and ice? Okay, you've got you've got the two power backs, so you're gonna go get the speed back. The guy who can come out of the backfield and catch it five yards away and make people miss. Are you bringing in your Swiss Army knife? Okay, You've got the bulldozers in Harrison Stevenson. Are you bringing in your scat back? Where are you finding your Alvin Kamara? Where are you finding your Swiss Army knife, Debo Samuel? Where are you finding your Jarek McKinnon, your J.D. McKissick? Who is that guy, the true weapon out of the backfield? Because if you're not going to be a team that wants to throw it deep down the field and wants to play ball control and wants to just, you know, hey, let's get the ball in a playmaker's hand. let's We'll throw it seven yards and we'll see if somebody can make somebody miss. You're, you're going to need to find that guy out of the backfield. Who do you want to be? Answer that question and then go attack it. Because if you want to be a, a running back pace team, you've got questions there. But conversely... If you want to be a team that opens it up for Mac Jones and allows him to take the next steps in his progression and you want him throwing the ball down the field and winning games with his arm, then you've got another set of priorities. Are you signing Devontae Adams? Are you drafting a wide receiver at number 21 overall? Are you making a run at Odell Beckham Jr. or Juju Smith-Schuster? These are the questions you have to answer. If you're going all in on Mac Jones and trying to find a way to give him the weapons that Josh Allen has, then you need to identify that and then go do it. Number 21 in the draft needs to be a wide receiver in that case. You need to make a real run at Adams or Allen Robinson or Juju or Odell. If your goal is to surround Mac Jones with a ton of weapons and let him do things, then go all in on getting playmakers that can keep a defense up at night. How you answer this question is everything. Who do you want to be? This year you played with defense and running game. If you want to replicate that and then some, go all in, fix the defense in the draft, fix the running backs, or, you know, add to the running back room, get the speed guy and keep the line good. If you want the Patriots to eventually look like the Chiefs, Bengals, and Bills do, where they can just spread it all out and throw it all over the yard, then do something different, but go do it well. That's what Bill Belichick needs to do this offseason. Who do, who do we want to be? 802-585-3026. Uh, all right, your suggestions on what you think the biggest question for the Patriots is this offseason. We're getting a lot of text. We're going to take those here throughout the show. Jake from Newberry. I'd rather see the Pats go all in at wide receiver. They need to play more like those other teams do. The top AFC teams are all good at the wide receiver position. Jake, there's pros and cons to both philosophies, right? The run-based um approach worked, it got you to the playoffs, but ultimately you weren't built to come from behind. But you protected the football. You'd like to think you could win time of possession a lot. So there's a pro there. The cons are you don't get as many possessions. You're not as explosive. You you can't, you know, erase things quickly. Whereas, you know, the other way, you know, if you play this kind of you know, finesse offense, you could be pummeled by a good defense and eventually you might not be able to win in the playoffs that way. So there's good and bad to every philosophy. And we're going to continue to break this down all show long and all off season long. And later in the show, I'll give you my answer on exactly how I would answer this question. But for me, I think one thing is evident. The Patriots need to fully invest in offense i know their defense has got what is what got run over on saturday night but i think the patriots need to invest in offense i would resign jc jackson i'm on record as saying that you can't have no frontline quarterbacks in today cornerbacks in today's nfl so i bring back jackson but beyond that i'd be investing in offense and our guy phil perry I really like what he had to say yesterday on NBC Sports Boston about this.
2: There are going to be holes on the defensive side, and I don't know if you can fill them all in
0: one off season. And part of me looks at it and looks at the Cincinnati Bengals with a very mediocre
1: defense and a great offense. The Chiefs, mediocre defense, great offense. The Bills are great on both sides. But a lot of the best teams in the AFC have loaded up offensively, and that's enough to carry you pretty far. And so I don't, it it would not shock
0: me if the Patriots decide, hey, if we just add another piece or two offensively, maybe we can ratchet
1: things up on that side of the ball. That sums it up perfectly. In the AFC, great offense, mediocre defense is enough. Of course, you need a defense, and at some point the defense is going to have to play well for you, but it's so volatile and it's so cyclical, and the schedule changes every year. You can't make defense your main calling card anymore in the NFL. You have to be able to play it, but offense now will carry you a lot of the way. And, the, I mean, look, the Pats were a top five defense, and they got run over for the last month of the season. Great defense no longer guarantees you victories in the NFL. The Chiefs, Bills, and and Bengals are three of the four teams remaining. They've all got great offenses. So... You can't completely ignore defense, but I'm of the belief that your top resources at this point need to be dedicated to the offense. Number 21 in the draft needs to be an offensive player. Your biggest free agent dollars, J.C. Jackson aside, need to be on offensive players. The draft rounds four through seven, your low-level free agent dollars, they can be on defense. But your top resources, those get allocated to the offense. Now, figure out what you want your offense to be and go be it. Go get players that help you be that. I'll Again, I'll tell you later in the show exactly what I think the Patriots should do with their offensive philosophy. But when they identify what they want to be, they better figure out a way to go and be it. If you want to be a run-based team, keep the line strong. Add a speed back in the backfield. Add another back out of the backfield because you're gonna like Stevenson has good hands, but he's not gonna be Alvin Kamara who catches a hundred balls. Find the guy out of the backfield who you can pair with Stevenson and Harris, and he can be a true threat for you out of the backfield like James White, Shane Vereen, Kevin Falk used to be. If you want to be dink and dunk down the field, then go get dink and dunk guys who can make people miss. Go find me the scat back to pair with your running backs. If you want to be, let's spread it out and go five wide, well, then you need a couple of wide receivers to make that work. Number 21 in the draft, Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson, Odell Beckham. These are the guys you need to look at if that's the style of offense that you want to be. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Hey, I've got my thoughts on what the Patriots should do. I've got texts on what you think the Patriots should do. About with their identity. Now let's ask the guy who watches every single game right from the 50-yard line. The voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, One last time. He's with us next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and streaming at WDEVradio.com.
3: The Brady Farkas Show now has an interactive text line. So reach out now at 802-585-3026.
0: He's called the best of the Patriots' past.
2: They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. But now,
0: it's time for these Patriots to bring a bright future to Foxborough.
2: To Myers on the crossing route, turns along the sideline, inside the pylon. Touchdown, Patriots! Hewitt takes the snap. he's looking over the middle, moves up, moves up, he's hit. The ball close toward the corner of the end zone, picked off by J.C. Jackson. Oh. Here comes the rookie, Matt Joe. Welcome to
0: Foxborough. The voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com.
1: Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on this Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. Continuing to react to the end of the Patriots season and looking ahead to the offseason. And one more time today, we are graced with the presence of the voice of the Pats here on DEV, Bob Sosi. Bob, it did not come to the end that we wanted it to, but it is indeed over. How are you?
2: I'm doing well, Brady. It wasn't the end that uh, anybody envisioned, though I think maybe to a lesser degree some feared based on the way the Patriots finished the season and the way Week 16 went from the standpoint of the Patriots' defense being unable to stop Buffalo. Uh, There were certainly a lot of signs that the Patriots were not ending the season with the General momentum and progress you need to make a playoff run. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know that anybody of a, anybody could have possibly envisioned uh, the degree with which the Patriots were beaten, and, and, and really, in, in many ways, dominated by the Bills, and some would say humiliated. In fact, I said it <laughs> uh, after uh, the Buffalo touchdown, the final score on the pass to the tackle eligible. Tommy. Yeah. It was really a rough night for the Pats. You know, we were just talking about this, and we're taking
1: listener comments on this all show long, so I'm going to ask you, what is the number one question for the Patriots this offseason? The number one thing they
2: have to answer in your mind? Well, I think you go back a few years, and the Buffalo Bills were one of several Miami Dolphins teams that had to look at the Patriots and say, how do we finally displace New England from atop the division? You know they drafted all three of them in 2019. Drafted a defensive lineman, presumably with the idea of applying interior pressure specifically on Tom Brady. The Bills took Ed Oliver after Mm -hmm. the Jets took Quentin Williams and before the Dolphins took Christian Wilkins. Of course, the big difference being is that with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, coach and general manager, the Bills already had the quarterback the franchise believed in and had reason to be confident would become the franchise QB, and enough of all the other pieces to be ready when the Patriots would fall. And, of course, they didn't necessarily uh, precipitate that fall. It was the Patriots and Tom Brady leaving that really opened the door. But the Bills were the one team prepared, and I, and I use that setting, that context, because the Bills, once they passed the Patriots, then set their sights on the Kansas City Chiefs. How do they shape their roster to beat KC after losing last year's AFC championship game? So now I think as the Patriots proceed, they've got to look at their team overall, their program, and say, okay, we're no longer the team to be. How do we match up better with Buffalo? How do we displace the Buffalo Bills from atop the AFC East? And I think there are a number of areas they really have to address in the offseason. What's your confidence
1: level in this organization with Mac Jones moving forward? What did you think of him overall, and what do you think of him moving
2: forward? I'm very confident in Mac Jones, and I think there's plenty of reason to be confident in Mac Jones. I'm amused by the number of people that, and I understand it's the nature of the position, but look at the way the Patriots faltered down the stretch and immediately point to the rookie quarterback and want to make it about Mac Jones. Mac Jones went out there and competed on Saturday yeah. night. Mac yeah. Jones was not a problem for the Patriots Saturday night. I know he had the two interceptions. I think one of them, you know, the ball by his own admission could have been thrown perfectly. It wasn't. And, and Micah Hyde made a tremendous play on it. But I look at the Patriots and I think Mac Jones is one reason to feel good about them going forward because you think about where this team was a year ago, Brady, the questions people were asking mm-hmm. at the end of the 2020 season, primarily Who's going to be the quarterback of this team? How are they going to get a quarterback to be a long-term answer at the position? Well, I'm not saying Matt Jones is ready to be a star in the league, but Matt Jones has answered that question. He's their quarterback going forward. Now the key for them is to make over the defense and to build around Matt Jones and provide more weaponry, particularly, you know, and I, and I use that term, which is used too loosely uh, when we talk about, the Patriots in particular, but they, he needs a guy who can make a difference on the outside or at least help to establish set coverage, force defensive coordinators to allocate extra defenders to defend. And I think, you know, Stefan Diggs is a great example of a guy who's really helped Josh Allen take that big next step. He makes everybody in that wide receiving core better just because he's so good and forces the other team, you know, to really adjust and defend, build a game plan around not only containing Allen, but stopping those receivers.
1: Bob Soce, voice of the Patriots. He's been with us every Tuesday of the NFL season. This is the final dance with Bob for us this year here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Bob, two of the big questions for the Pats in the offseason in the back end of that secondary are what happens with Devin McCourty and what happens with JC Jackson. What's your best guess on the resolution to both of their situations?
2: I think with Devin it's complicated because, you know, here's a guy who's 34 years of age and, you know, he has so many off the field interests and has had such a long and productive career. I don't know if Devin definitely wants to come back. Several years ago before Super Bowl 53, he hinted at the possibility of retirement and obviously was reunited with Jason, his brother, uh, to follow up that season, and another as well. Now this year, of course, Devin McCourty planning out a contract that will have the next couple of years voided, becomes an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Jason spent this year mostly injured with Miami. I don't know if Devin wants to come back to the Patriots. I don't know if he wants to continue to play football. I think he's playing at a high enough level that if the price is right for the pass, the terms are right. And his importance, I think, is invaluable to the organization off the field and in the locker room. The Devin McCourty makes sense for me uh, as a guy you want to return. People look at the what play of the secondary. It was an unfair fight against the Bills. You look at the matchup of Buffalo's receivers against some of the defensive backs that Devin McCourty was trying to quarterback out there in his role for the Patriots. He allows them to play single high safety still. People say he's lost a step. I don't see it. I think, you know, he's out there right now or he was on Saturday night, with a group that included a practice squad player who had not played in a game since the season finale last year for Denver, a young man who was called up from the practice squad uh, with, with only a handful of pro experiences under his belt, speaking of D'Angelo Ross, the, the previous player, Devontae Bosby. And then you have Miles Bryan, who started the year on the practice squad and came up. And, and really is more, I think, of a safety type and then a, a real true cornerback who can keep up in man coverage with faster receivers, as we've seen in the two matchups with Buffalo. So Devin McCourty, to me, is a guy who's still playing at a high enough level, you want to bring him back. The question is J.C. Jackson. Is he playing at a high enough level consistently for this team to commit to him for $17 million or in that neighborhood on an annual value to a long-term contract or to even franchise tag him? And I'll be honest with you, Brady, I had questions at the beginning of the season. I started to come around in the middle of the season. But I think the last few games in, in particular, uh, the way things worked out on Saturday night, uh, raise even more questions for me and, and even more doubt that the Patriots will make a, a real commitment to him. Perhaps a franchise tag simply because they're so short in, in other cornerback positions. But maybe it's a tag and trade if they can work out a deal and find someone else that they believe could be a suitable replacement. I don't think he finished the season particularly well despite all the interceptions, despite the second team all pro distinction and his first pro bowl appearance. And I thought it was evident not only in his coverage, but also in in terms of in unwillingness, I thought at times to really be physical and aggressive when it came to tackling. And and that's an area that, uh, you know, he'd been very good at for most of his career.
1: The criticism after a loss like Saturday night it comes for everybody, and I heard it coming uh, regionally at Bill Belichick too yesterday. um What do you think of how this team was coached throughout the course of the season?
2: Well, it seems remarkable to think that a Bill Belichick coach team would have the markings of an ill-prepared and poorly coached team, but I think this one had too many of them, and. You point to different areas, some that were obvious, others that were, were, were you know, really, for the most part, I think, you know, obscure because they didn't show up in the box scores or, or, you know, they weren't as noticeable to the casual viewer. The special teams play. It was a liability for the most part, despite having one of the most reliable kickers in the league and, you know, continued excellence from people like Matthew Slater you look at the three block punts you look at all the penalties you look at the hidden yards that were lost I I think about you know the Miami game there were three punts in that game two by uh, the Dolphins one by the Patriots where there was a substantial amount of yards that were lost for the Pats either because they didn't field the punts or the punt that Jake Bailey delivered went into the end zone uh, you know i look at the game the other night it's not just to uh, you know again the obvious mistakes penalties and 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 poor plays that lead to points and turnovers but you know try to get your offense in field position to to drive to a tying score first touchdown by the bills they kicked yeah. off washefsky takes it out of the end zone and they don't block a couple of guys running down the middle of the field and he gets tackled at the 12 yard line those yeah. are the Mistakes I'm talking about. The substitution gaffes on, on, on the defensive side of the ball. And there's so many different areas that led to penalties or timeouts that were wasted. And to and, I me, mean, that's the reflection of a coaching staff that, that needs to be addressed. They have a lot of young coaches, a lot of inexperienced coaches. You know, we're not there in the meeting rooms. We're not there with those guys. You know, for each week around on the practice fields on a regular basis. But I, I do think that one of the things that has happened over the course of my career is that you know they've had a, a lot of more NFL experience coaches and guys even who've been in uh, New England for long 10 years depart, and there are a lot of young guys who've really had to learn on the job the last couple of years as full-time NFL coaches. And I, and I think it is an area that will be addressed and needs to be addressed.
1: Bob Socy, voice of the Patriots, was with us every Tuesday over the course of the NFL season. Bob, we appreciate you being with us. You've added a ton to our Patriots coverage. We've enjoyed having the games with you and Zoe on our station all season long. We look forward to talking at some point in the off season. But uh, you deserve a uh, a well earned rest here for the next next couple of months. A long season, a lot of travel. So enjoy some family time. Good luck with the Boston Marathon, uh, which is coming up in April. We're going to put out another link for people to donate to uh, the Flutie Foundation for Autism and Autism Awareness on your behalf. So uh, thanks so much for all you brought to the show. It was a great season for the Pats and a, a great season for you and me. So I certainly always appreciate your time, Bob.
2: Hey, Brady, I love our conversations. Look forward to doing it again next year. Thanks.
1: Yeah, I look forward to it as well. Bob Soce, everybody. Slow golfers clap. That's it for us with Bob this year. Hard to believe. We started talking to him back at the beginning of September, and here we are in the middle of January, and uh, we're done with our Bob Soce interviews for the year. So we'll have other ways to fill our Tuesdays at 545. Moving forward we're going to hear a lot more from Coach Brennan live in this time slot moving forward, so uh the show keeps rolling on, but I do want to give Bob Sosi a thank you okay um i I think a lot of you enjoy hearing from Bob. I enjoy talking with Bob. I learn a lot from talking with Bob and and you know really gives us good access uh to the team and you know, my goal has always been is I hate when somebody calls where we live small market. Oh, Brady, you work in a small market. What's that like? My goal is to make this small state seem as big as possible. And I think when you have the voice of the Patriots on every week, I think it helps accomplish that goal. So Bob Sosi every single week takes his time with us and uh, very, very grateful. With it, So I appreciate Bob being with us, and I know a lot of you do as well. So if any of you enjoyed hearing from Bob, let us know in the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line, and I'll make sure that he knows he's been great to us all year. He was with us last year when the show started. He's always great to us on social media as well. So we continue to take your text on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. TJ says, Brady, I agree with you on the offense. They must have a true identity. I tend to think they... Load, uh, load up with another back and lineman run play action, add a piece on defense, keep JC Jackson and add that speed back. Like you say, that's all well and good, TJ. And they could use all those things. It's all, it's going to come down to money and how much money you have. You, I want to keep JC Jackson too. If you keep him, you don't have a ton of other money. So if you keep Jackson, okay, can you bring back, bring back Brown and Karras and then go get your, swiss army knife back in the draft you'd have to find them there can you get a big time wide receiver in the draft like you can't do everything in free agency you have to hit in the draft If you are this team moving forward, a bunch of other texts coming through. We'll continue to get to all of them here over the course of the next 60 minutes. When we come back, UVM men's basketball, they're 11-4. and They are rolling inside conference play. They've blown out Stony Brook. They've blown out UMBC. I'll give you some of my takeaways from this team and impressions as we get ready for their next game tomorrow here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Now
0: it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com.
1: Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com show brought to you in part by pro driver training. That's pro driver training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They're online at prodrivercdl.com. They've got offices and training centers in Enosburg and in Milton. So if you are looking for the next step in your career, well, just might be the spot for you. So go again to prodrivercdl.com. After the show is over, the full show podcast will be available on Apple podcasts and on Spotify do hope that you are subscribing and appreciate those of you that do. Again, thank you to Bob Sosi the voice of the Patriots, for stopping by his interview already up on our podcast channel. UVM men's basketball will play again tomorrow. They'll be on the road at NJIT, which was new to the conference a year ago. And the Catamounts are rolling right now. If, if you've been... Uh, If you haven't been paying attention, they're 11-4 overall, 3-0 inside America East play, and they've now blown out Stony Brook. They've blown out UMBC. They beat New Hampshire by double digits. They've gotten 80 or more in each of their three conference games. After not being able to score a lick, they are absolutely rolling. So, a couple of takeaways on this team and a couple of thoughts as they get ready to play on Wednesday. This is what we thought this team could be. This is what I expected this team to be. I don't expect them to score 98 points. I don't expect them to score 87 points. But I expected them to be a team that could beat anybody in the league, had the potential to put it on anybody in the league. And I've expected this team now for years. I've been admittedly spoiled. I've expected this team for years to be a team that could go anywhere from 13 and 3 to 16 and 0 inside league play, or I guess now 18 and 0 because of NJIT being there, so anywhere from 14 and 4 to you know 17 and 1 inside league play, and and it didn't look like we were going to get that early in the year, and now they are starting to play to that potential and to that expectation. I mean, if you look at the box scores. From the last couple of games, they are incredibly balanced, and that is what we want to see. We've said all along, your stars need to play like stars, but you need other guys to step up. They had five players in double figures against UMBC. No one is stopping you in this league if you can do that. If you can put five players in double figures, nobody is stopping you. I mean, in this league, that seems pretty self-explanatory, so... But for all this talk about this team not being able to score, here they are. 82 against New Hampshire, 98 against Stony Brook, 86 against UMBC. And the other thing that's been really impressive is that not only are they scoring more, they're doing it while maintaining their signature good defense. Like, the defense hasn't really suffered. I've asked UVM... To score 70 points a night. When they weren't scoring well at all, I asked them to score 70 a night. Can you score 70 a night? Well, they've blown that out of the water. But what's amazing is that even if they had scored just 70, they'd still be 3-0 in the league. New Hampshire scored 68, Stony Brook scored 65, and UMBC scored 69. If Vermont scored just the 70 points that I had asked for, they would be 3-0. Inside league play. So it is impressive to see the offense come back to life and the defense, you know, have it not come, expense of the de- come at the expense of the defense. So good stuff there from UVM. This is the team that I hope they would be. This is the program that I expect them to be. Can, you know, every year now. I've been spoiled. I know that. But this is who I expect them to be every single year. Well, we're at it. Got to give Major kudos to the new guy. Major kudos to the new guy. Finn Sullivan is on fire. He's America East Player of the Week this week. He had 20 points against UMBC on Saturday. He had 19 against Stony Brook the, you know earlier in the week. He's shown the ability at times to get to the rim. He's certainly shown the ability to hit from deep. I mean, he had six threes against UMBC, five of which came in the first half. And what he's doing is not easy to do. Finn Sullivan is a transfer senior. It's not easy to come into a new team and instantly produce. It's not easy to come into a new conference and instantly produce. It's not easy to come into a school that's 3,000 miles away from your home. He's from San Diego and he comes 3,000 miles, and he's made an immediate impact. It Look, it took him a couple of games, but Finn Sullivan has arrived, and this is not an easy thing to do. We've seen other transfers come into UVM and not be able to have the kind of impact that he is having. Like, Daniel Giddens started, I think, every game for UVM a couple of years. He was a starter, blocked shots, never scored, so... And he came from Alabama. He didn't come in here and put up 20. Duncan DeMuth came in from Oklahoma State, and we literally never see him on the floor. Cam Gibson is a guy who came in from Western Carolina who we were high on and we were told to be high on. He isn't really playing either now. So it's not easy to be a newcomer, and Finn Sullivan has come in and has done it and is now doing it consistently within league play. Like, Peyton Henson, a couple years ago, who came in from Tulane, he was able to come in and assimilate and contribute pretty much right away. But beyond that, it isn't a given. It isn't a given that transfers come in and do big things early on, and Finn Sullivan here is doing it. Number three, kind of a point I want to get to, is Isaiah Powell is everywhere. If you look in the stat sheet... In the box score, Isaiah Powell's name is everywhere. And this is the thing that I deserve to take an L on the most when it comes to this team. I've always said, I don't think that I'm too proud to admit when I've been wrong. My biggest question on UVM coming into the year was, could Isaiah Powell be consistent enough to make a real impact? And... He has made a real impact in most games that he's played. There's been some games where he's been a little bit off. There was the game where he was suspended for one game earlier in the year. So, look, I was right for a very small segment of the season. But by and large, Isaiah Powell has been awesome. I mean, the last two games, he has almost put up a triple-double. Do you know how hard it is to put up a triple-double in a 40-minute college basketball game? This isn't the NBA where it's 48 minutes and where offense is so good that the defense is secondary, like triple doubles in the NBA are a lot easier to come by. College basketball, they just don't happen much. And if you look up and down the box score every night, Isaiah Powell, now nine points, 13 points, 10 points, seven rebounds, nine rebounds, eight assists, seven assists, nine assists. Isaiah Powell is everywhere. And, on Saturday afternoon against UMBC, I made a point to really watch him when he was in the game, and he was just a smart player. I've, I've watched him for years, but on Saturday when I really committed to watching him, you just take notice of just how heady a player he was. Good passer, played disciplined, didn't, you know, didn't get going too fast. You know, When I would play, I'd get going so fast, get so hyped up and dribbled off my foot. Isaiah Powell played under control. He was able to play physical in the post. He was able to go to the basket. He was, able, he was good in transition. Isaiah Powell was everywhere. And the thing that I am, have been the most wrong about with this team has been the consistent contributions of Isaiah Powell. I spoke with Tom Brennan, the former head coach at UVM, earlier today. That interview is up on the podcast channel. And I kind of asked him about Powell's growth.
3: What has happened now... Uh, with freshmen and then freshmen been eligible a long time. But my point is expectations are so high for everybody right away. And especially if they get, if they come in with a little bit of a rep, like, you know, what star, whatever it might be. And, uh, and and it's just, I just think it's taken him a little while. I mean, he just, he's just kind of doing what you're supposed to do. He's getting better. He's working hard. He's, his improvement has been uh, gradual in some places and dramatic in others. And, and, But he's a legitimate player now
1: you know i think coach brennan is is so right and we are so used to now and it stems from a lot of different things right we're an instant gratification society we want the results right away and it doesn't matter if we're talking about with our rookie quarterback it doesn't matter if we're talking about our our basketball players at uh, low level division one colleges we have seen enough instances of young players who have come in and been great, that we just expect that it can happen for everybody, and that's not realistic. You know, uh, I'm trying to think. Russell Wilson got to the playoffs as a rookie. We think all play all quarterbacks can get to the playoffs as a rookie. People aren't giving Mac Jones credit for getting to the you know, for getting to the playoffs because we've seen other guys do it. I am. I think it's incredibly hard to get to the playoffs as a rookie quarterback. Mac Jones did it. I think he deserves the credit for that. We've seen. Anthony, in this program, Trey Bell-Haynes made an impact as a freshman. Steph Smith made an impact right away. Anthony Lamb made an impact right away. We have seen people come in right away and be good for UVM that we think it should happen for everybody. And it didn't happen right away for Isaiah Powell when, to Coach Brennan's point, this is kind of the way it's supposed to go. As a freshman, you maybe don't get on the court that much. As a sophomore, you're a little more erratic. As a junior, you start to level off, and as a senior, you're flat line like this. That's where Isaiah Powell is right now, and and he deserves the praise for that. I, I questioned if he could be consistent enough to be a consistent threat for UVM, and he's been that in more. This team would not be where he is or where it is without Isaiah Powell. And I believe the game he was suspended for, they lost. So there was a difference when he's not on the floor versus when he is. And finally, kind of the last thing I've been thinking about with UVM, and it's really, at this point, my only question with the Catamounts. We've done 10 minutes here of giving them praise. My only question on the Catamounts at this point is that the rotation is very much thinning. As we've gotten into conference play, John Becker is down to about seven guys that he's willing to play a lot, right? Ryan Davis, Ben Shungu, Finn Sullivan, Isaiah Powell, Aaron Deloney, Justin Mazzula, and, uh and Robin Duncan. That's the seven. Now, on any given night, you might see Nick Fiorello, you might see Bailey Patella, you could see Cam Gibson, but bottom line, there's really seven guys that John Becker trusts. I wonder if that is deep enough. Can you do the things you want to do with a seven-man rotation? That's my biggest question right now on UVM. Do they need – should they have eight, nine, ten guys that they can go to at any one moment? Because right now it doesn't feel that way. I asked Coach Brennan about that also.
3: I think yeah, if you got a solid seven – uh you're good. I mean, that, that I I think that's good. Now, if you if you're comfortable knowing that maybe eight or nine could play and maybe come in and, and make some noise as a Deloney or somebody like that, um, you know, then we gotta you know we can't be can't hesitate to go with him. I think he'll. All right. So he
1: likes seven. He's good with seven. So if Coach Brennan likes it, I can amend. You know, I I'm not saying it's a true worry. But it's something I've noticed. The rotation is a little thin. Coach Brendan says that doesn't bother him. But if you've got seven guys that you trust and one guy gets injured, or one guy gets in foul trouble, that's where my worry would come in. Coach Brendan tries to dissuade me from worrying about it, and, and right now, okay, I'm good with seven. But if you're out a guy for injury, or health and safety protocol, or, or, or foul trouble, then I would worry. UVM takes on NJIT. That comes up tomorrow night. That game is not a home game. It is on the road. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Okay, I want to get back to your texts, which are in on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. We started off the show, and we asked you to identify what you think is the biggest question facing the Patriots this offseason. Riley in Moretown says, my biggest question for the Pats is what happens with the coaching staff? I feel like if they lose Josh McDaniels or Gerard Mayo, that would be a huge loss. So that comes from Riley in Moortown. Um, It's a great point, and I think it's a point that will go under the radar for most. Usually like, outside of the head coach, most people don't think about the coaching staff. Offensive coordinator certainly is in there. So McDaniels gets thought of more than Mayo does. But for a lot of fans, the head coach is all they think about. So it's a smart point. It's an astute point. And it's an afterthought, I think, to a lot of people when it shouldn't be. It hasn't been to me. I've been thinking about this too. I think the Patriots could overcome Gerard Mayo. And it's out of ignorance that I say that in that we don't know exactly what Gerard Mayo does. It's so under wraps who's calling the defensive plays and who's doing what. We don't know exactly what to attribute to Mayo and what to attribute to Steve Belichick. So for all we know, Gerard Mayo could be doing 0% of the job or 110% of the job, and I'm not, not quite sure which one. So on ignorance alone, I'm saying they could get by without Gerard Mayo because they'd still have Steve Belichick and Bill Belichick on that side of the ball. So I think you could get by if Mayo left for a head coaching job. McDaniels, though, I don't think you can get by easily without him. I think it is absolutely paramount to the Patriots that Josh McDaniels is here next season. And it's pretty simple. He's the guy who works with Mac Jones. As this team focuses on the development of Mac, McDaniels is the guy who can aid that development best, keeping similar messaging, keeping similar... Um, terminology, a similar voice, the similar confidence, all of that matters, and the Patriots want to hit the offseason on the ground running, and if McDaniels is here, Mack and him can hit that ground running right away. If McDaniels is not here, you got to hire somebody, you got to train somebody, you got to, they got to get a relationship with Mack, and now all of a sudden you're behind the eight ball in the offseason program. That's not what I want. I think it's a smart point by Riley that if the coaching staff gets disintegrated in any way, it has an impact. And I think McDaniels would have a huge impact. And actually, Ted Johnson, former Pats linebacker, now on NBC Sports Boston, he actually said something similar just last night.
3: If you were to tell me that Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick was going to be his coach for the next five years, I'd feel a lot better about it. Um, so I feel like that's that's how important Josh McDaniels is to the growth of this kid. But there's a definite ceiling with, uh, with him right now.
1: Okay, so fine. He says there's a ceiling with him. Ignore that. But Josh McDaniels is vital to this kid. That's the part that matters. He, if you want Mac Jones to hit his ultimate ceiling, then Josh McDaniels, needs to be here. This one's from uh, Davis up in Burlington. Biggest Patriots question they need to answer is can they draft well again? You talk about needing speed and youth. The best way to get that is through the draft. Well, Davis, that's another good point. The Patriots need to hit in the draft, but I don't think they need to prove they can draft well. There's a difference. Last year, they drafted well enough to show me they could figure it out. They got Mac Jones, they got Christian Barmore, They got Ramondre Stevenson. There have been years worth of misses in the draft. No one is debating that. But last year, they've showed enough to me that they, hey, look, we've proven we can draft. Now your big question is can you hit again in the draft? Your point is well taken. I mean, last year they had a lifetime, you know, once-in-a-lifetime amount of money to spend away in free agency. They could buy their way out of some issues you can't go to that well too many times. Pats don't have that kind of funding available to them offseason. You've got to make it count in the draft, and they're going to have a lot of turnover potentially. Matthew Slater, Devin McCourty, J.C. Jackson, Dante Hightower, they could all be gone just off the defense alone. So if you want to find replacements for them or any subset of them, it's going to have to be through the draft in all likelihood. Again, you could pay J.C. Jackson, you can go out and buy a piece on offense, but a lot of the rest of your work is going to have to come through the draft, and that's what uh, Mike Giardi of the NFL Network, he was saying last night.
2: You franchise J.C. Jackson, you get Jonathan Jones back from from injury this year, and all of a sudden you got a little bit more speed and more stability in your secondary, but it's going to require yet another good draft, and I think they've had a couple in a row now that you got to feel pretty good about. But, you know, we'll continue to see how that develops. But they've got to hit gold again here. They got the 21st overall pick in the first round. That's got to be a guy who, for years and years, when you look at Bill and how he worked that first round, they got good players in the first round. Yeah, they got good
1: players. Pats do need to hit in the draft. So, uh, yeah, your point is well taken, Davis. They've, um, you know, again, they showed they could draft last year. They just have to figure out a way to. Uh, to make it work consistently because you can't spend your way out of problems this year. To his point, to Giardi's point, again, you could franchise or sign J.C. Jackson, and I still think you can go get a guy on offense. But the rest of the things we want, speed back, defensive back, potentially a safety, some faster linebackers, edge rusher, a lot of that's going to come through the draft. This is the Brady Farca Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. Okay, we do it every single day. Let's get to who's saying what.
3: Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones? Good Lord. Mel kuiper has got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing His politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it.
0: It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB-AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. All
1: right, Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, which is Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It begins at only... $20 a month for a free car wash if you want just one free car wash you just need to text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400 we still got texts coming in on the biggest Patriots questions we will get to them I promise over the course of the uh, next half hour or so but uh, I gotta play this who's saying what clip at this point It's all just comedy to me. Nick Wright of Fox Sports 1 who hates the Patriots, and I say that every time as a qualifier that he's a Patriots hater, he just continues to bag on the pats. Now he says that Mac Jones didn't deserve our support on Saturday night. Again, it's all pure comedy to me at this point, but I got to play it. It's this rookie quarterback who's done nothing in the league, earned none of your loyalty, Rather than saying the whole team played terribly, including the quarterback who set the tone of the offense what? doing nothing till it was out of play, saying, oh, it was on Belichick, it's on the defense. Yes, Belichick and the defense Wilds were awful, but
3: so was your quarterback as predicted.
1: Okay. Mac Jones, if we're looking at Saturday night, Mac Jones is about the ninth thing on my list that went wrong. Okay. Mac Jones threw a bad pick to start the second half with the team down 27-3. to That pretty much ended. I'm with you there. But beyond that, Mac Jones did some very good things. He was not the reason they lost. He's not the reason they lost. No matter what Nick Wright or anybody else says, Mac Jones was not the reason you lost. Josh Allen was the reason you lost. And then by extension, your defense was the reason you lost because of what Josh Allen did to it. If you look at Mac Jones, on the first drive... He completed a third and long with his team backed up in the face of pressure. That's pretty good. Shows poise, shows toughness, made a good throw in bad weather. That's pretty good. That takes some stones. I like that. He scrambled for a third down or for a first down on third and long on that same first drive as well. That takes some stones. For a guy who's not that athletic, he made a pretty athletic play there in a key moment to keep a drive going. He then hit Brandon Bolden on a huge play right in the hands, and Bolden had to go right through his hands, and would will put the Patriots down like inside the 20-yard line. Mac Jones can't help that the guy dropped it. I mean, so early in the game, when the game was a game, Mac Jones did nice things, and then later in the game, I know the game was out of hand, but he delivered some nice balls to Kendrick Bourne. They got it on a – I believe they scored their touchdown on a fourth down. He hit Bourne on a third down right in between you know, two defenders, which was beautifully dropped in the bucket. Look, there are not a whole lot of moral victories to take out of a 47-17 beatdown, but Mac Jones was a moral victory. He's not the reason they lost. They were old and slow on defense. They weren't great on special teams. They committed penalties. They lost contain on Josh Allen. They couldn't cover. They had guys on the COVID list. Jalen Mills didn't get back out there and play. I mean, All, all of that. I would put as a reason for a loss before Mac Jones. So, look again, Nick Wright, I just kind of roll my eyes at what he says about the Patriots, but I do like to bring it up as some nice comedic relief here. So that's who's saying what on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, I've been taking your suggestions on what the Patriots should do or what their biggest question is heading into the offseason. My biggest question facing the team, who do they want to be offensively? I've got the answer of who I want them to be. I'll tell you what that is next right here on the Brady Farkas Show. on
0: Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com.
1: Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on this Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Com. Okay, I'm ready to give you my plan for the Patriots moving forward. We started off talking about what the Patriots' offensive philosophy should be moving forward. And I keep coming back to the same answer. I think the Patriots have to try to do a difficult thing. But I think they need to try to thread the needle. And I know this is straddling. And I know half of you are going to be out there mad at me and say that I'm on the fence about this. But I think that really is the right answer. The Patriots, they're not ready right now to go five wide and turn it over to Mac Jones and let him be a gunslinger. They're not at that point. They also don't need to fully insulate Mac Jones in the way that they did this year. And I kind of got this position After my talk last week with Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, I asked him last week what they should do moving forward offensively, and here's what he had to say.
2: Yeah, I think there's a a middle ground because the Patriots right now are set up to still have that offensive line and still have that running game in the years to come. and So to abandon it entirely, I think, would be foolish, especially considering the amount of money they've also invested on the defensive side of the ball.
1: You can't abandon, Matthew's right, you can't abandon everything that worked this year. That is how your team is built and your philosophy this year worked. You cannot completely ditch it. But that said, you have to thread the needle, you have to find a way to get vertical in the passing game. To get explosive in the passing game. To get guys that can catch and run and make people miss. The way the Patriots are now, for the most part, is you throw it to Damian Harris out of the backfield for four yards. He gets four yards. I need a guy who you can throw it to for four yards and he turns it into 14. You throw it to Jacoby Myers and he gets you 11 and that's important. That's what you needed. But I need a game breaker who can turn 11 upfield into 46. I need those kind of players. I need to be able to thread the needle. I I cannot abandon what I did this year. To Matthew's point, my running backs are too good. I have Damian Harris under contract for another year. I have Ramondre Stevenson under contract for three years. I have a good running game with bruising backs. I can't put them on ice completely. I have a big physical offensive line. I can't take away their strength in the run game. But I also can't just sit on the ball and play defense and be content to punt. My defense won't be as good next year because of who I'm going to lose. I've got to find a way to get explosive in the offense. And it is difficult to thread that needle. I've asked you to find an identity and now I'm telling you, to, you know, to, to, to play with balance. So I acknowledge it's hard, but I think that's what the Patriots need to do. They need to find a way to blend what they did this year and what they saw on Saturday night from Buffalo. And I think an appropriate comp for the Patriots, as it's been all year, is the Tennessee Titans and the Cleveland Browns. That I think Those, I think, are the appropriate comps. I think that those two teams have the right idea. Now, the Browns didn't make the playoffs, and with Baker Mayfield's injuries and limitations, they couldn't do everything that they would want to do. But I still think the philosophy was right. Those two teams are run-based. They want to beat you up. They want to churn you up. On the ground. And that is what they go to when it counts. That is what I think the Patriots should do. They should be a run team. Everything starts with the run. Okay, it's third and three. We need a run. It's it's second and six. We can run it to put us in third and three. We can beat you up running it 35 times a game if we have to. Okay, they can be a run first team. That can be their calling card. But then... I want to see this team have an element of, a, or a huge amount of play action. And I want to see them get that verticality to the passing game. Real chunk plays down the field. You don't need to throw it 45 times a game. You can throw it 25 times a game. But of those 25, they can't all be dump-offs. You've got to be able to get the ball down the field. I'm watching, you know, look, Russell Wilson, End of the year for the Seahawks. I think he threw it 25 times in the game against the Cardinals. He had four touchdowns. They they ran for 170. I think Rashad Penny ran for 170 yards against the Cardinals in the last game of the year. Russell Wilson made his limited number of throws count. When they beat the Lions, he threw for a bunch of touchdowns. They ran for a bunch too. Made his limited number of, of throws count. The Cleveland Browns have it right. They just don't have the personnel right now. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, boom, Baker Mayfield takes a deep shot and you hit something. Can the Patriots do that and make it work? Ryan Tannehill, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball with Derrick Henry, and boom, there's A.J. Brown deep down the field. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I want the Patriots to do. You can have the run identity, but the element of verticality wasn't there this year. Nelson Aguilar did not pan out the way we thought. You've got to find a way to get that into your offense. Because if you do, then you've got an offense that works in layers. And that's what I want. Jacoby Myers works underneath. Kendrick Bourne works underneath to intermediate. Hunter Henry works intermediate to deep. And whoever that deep threat is, works long. Probably a guy you get from the draft, maybe Aguilar. That's what I'm looking for. Thread the needle. I don't need to see three consecutive runs every time, and I don't need to three, five, see five wide every time. Can you find that balance? It's not easy. Teams struggle all the time trying to identify the proper run-pass balance, but that's what I'm asking the Patriots to do, run you know, or or straddle the line. Be a run-based team. Be physical. Don't abandon your principles, but have a home run hitter can you find your DK Metcalf who works with Russell Wilson, your Tyler Lockett who works with Russell Wilson, your A.J. Brown who works with Ryan Tannehill. Those teams that are run-based but also have the ability to keep a defensive coordinator up at night with what they can do over the top in the pass game, that's what I'm looking for. And Matthew Fairburn said essentially just that.
2: And so I do think you know continuing to invest in those pieces and continuing to open up the offense, as they see fit, as Mac Jones is ready to to be that player, but they can't totally ignore their winning formula either, right? They can't yeah. just say, well, you know, let's let's air the ball out for the sake of Mac Jones' development.
1: Yeah. You can't just you can't just air it out for the sake of Matt Jones Mac Jones's development. So um yeah. This is what you gotta find a way to blend the ideologies together. I mean look, the the Rams even. Is for as much as they could throw it all over the yard. Did you see him yesterday? Run, body blows with Cam Akers, body blows with Sony Michelle, and then boom, there's Odell Balcom. and then boom, there's Cooper Cup. That's what we're looking for. So, uh, Tom and says my biggest question for the Patriots is how do they get more value out of Jonu Smith? Yeah, yeah, that, that's another one. That's a huge question. That's that's a good one here. I didn't have that on my list of the top two or three questions for the Pats, but that's up there. The Jonu Smith signing did not work from a statistical impact. Now, the guys have his back, and Hunter Henry told everyone yesterday that Jonu Smith does a lot of things that go unnoticed, and that's great. But the Patriots spent $50 million a year on him, and he didn't even get two catches a game. He had 28 catches, I think, this season in 18 games. That is... That's unacceptable for $50 million. You have to find a way to involve him in the pass game. And if you can, you then become even more dynamic. He's got athleticism. You saw him in the run games. He ran the end arounds a bunch this year. They clearly like the ball in his hands. Can they get it to him in the pass game and help with some of that explosion that we're asking for? So, uh, yeah, Jonu Smith. Again, I want the pass game to work in layers. I need guys that can go short, intermediate, and deep and run all we want, but then off my play action, I've got short, intermediate, and deep all on the table for me. That's what I'm looking for. You want to run it 32 times a game, I'm fine. Only throw it 24, but make those 24 count. That's what we're looking for. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, I've got a message for the Bills Mafia. I angered the Bills Mafia last night. i got to come back and kind of set it set, set the record straight one more time. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV.
3: This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com.
1: Welcome back in, Brady Farkas, show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. A couple of messages here before I deliver my message to the Bills Mafia. Virginia in Starksboro says, Debo Samuel was available when the Patriots drafted Nikhil Harry, just saying, yeah, I tweeted that the other day. Debo was scored a touchdown for the Niners, and I said, insert the obligatory Patriots could have had Debo Samuel comment. Look, the Patriots got it wrong with Nikhil Harry. And I thought for a long time that Nikhil Harry had value to the team in terms of being an asset, right? He could have been a trade piece. Like, people wanted to cut Nikhil Harry. I said, look, he's got a couple years left on his contract. You can trade him. You can play with him and see if you can establish value. Nikhil Harry's going to get cut. He's, Nikhil Harry will not be on this team next year. His His rookie contract value is not there anymore. I mean, and you're not keeping on a solely run-blocking wide receiver. So, Nikhil Harry's time is done. I mean, the, the, there, there's no questions about that. The Patriots, as of now, for next year at wide receiver, they will have Nelson Aguilar, Jacoby Myers, and Kendrick Bourne. Those three, with Gunnar Olszewski listed as a wide receiver. So, basically, I see room for two wide receivers that you can really have an impact Christian Wilkerson, who we saw with a couple of touchdowns against the Jags, he's still around in the Futures contract. Trey Nixon, who they drafted last year in the seventh round, he's around on a Futures contract. So maybe one of them assumes the spot, but number 21 in the draft, that's prime spot for a wide receiver. Randy Moss was taken number 21 overall in the draft when he came out. So you can take a draft pick. Uh, at number 21, and you can go sign somebody. Maybe it's a bounce-back guy. I don't know that you're going to have the money to go after Devontae Adams, but if you let J.C. Jackson go, then you could go and try to make a big money move like that, OBJ, Juju Juju Smith-Schuster. So The Patriots got it wrong with Harry. I mean, it will make you sick when you look at who was available still on the board when Nikhil Harry was taken. The only wide receiver taken before Harry that year Was Hollywood Brown of the Ravens? So, Debo Samuel, D.K. Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin of the Washington Football Team—they were all available when Nikhil Harry got taken. I mean, can you imagine? Could you imagine Tom Brady throwing to D.K. Metcalf? Maybe he never wants to leave for lack of weapons. Tom Brady throwing. To A.J. Brown. Look, even with Cam Newton last year, for as bad as everybody thought Cam was, they went seven and nine. Can you imagine Cam throwing to Terry McLaurin or using Debo Samuel instead of uh, Nikhil Harry and Demir Bird and you know the the group that the Patriots had out there last year? The Patriots got it wrong in a big way with Harry. And he no longer has value to value to them, and he's going to be uh, he's going to be gone. Bob in Moncton says, "I'm just joining the conversation. What is Matthew Stafford's contract like? Is he getting the big money, and are the Rams bucking the trend of the high-dollar quarterback? So, or he wants to know, did he get a did he take a new smaller deal in order to end up on a good team? Here's the deal." with Matthew Stafford. So I'll, I'll pull up the exact number right now on Stafford, but uh, let's see. We'll get here to positional rank, salary rankings, and we'll go to salary. It's by position, and let's see here at uh, quarterback, and all right. Uh, now, that's not the list that I want here. Hold on. Matthew Stafford. Let's see. Typing this in here. As we go, riveting radio. My apologies to all of you here. But uh, Stafford is not making the most money in the league at quarterback. So here's the deal. Stafford this year make, is making $12.5 million and his cap hit is $23 million. So he's making good money. He is not making franchise-altering money. And the reason why is because... Look, Matthew... I'm sorry. This year he's only making nine point five million. His cap hit is twenty. It's next year that is twelve and a half. Matthew Stafford signed a big deal with the with the Lions. It was one hundred thirty five million dollars, but he signed it like four or five years ago or something like that. So, I mean, you just the market gets reset every year. Matthew Stafford is now a few years behind the market. So. When we talk about quarterbacks making a bunch of money, like Dak Prescott's making forty million dollars, the market got set. Patrick Mahomes forty million dollars, Josh Allen forty million dollars. The next group of quarterbacks that gets signed is going to get forty million dollars too, and that's why there's so many question marks about them: Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. You know, that, I mean, that's why. So the quarterback market gets reset. So Stafford's contract is not a killer. The Rams can fit in a bunch of guys with Stafford's deal, and. Next year, he's got an okay deal as well. But, you know, and again, he's going to be 35 years old. So it's not like he'll be able to sign a, a zillion dollar deal either. So the Rams are in a decent position with Stafford. They right now have a, you know, a middle of the quarterback or a middle of the quarterback ranking salary. I mean, here, let's look at average salaries by position. Matthew Stafford is right now 16th. He's, six, six, or he's 16th in the NFL in terms of average salary, annual average salary. So Patrick Mahomes is 1, Josh Allen's 2, Dak Prescott's 3, Deshaun Watson is 4, Russell Wilson's 5, Jared Goff is 6, Aaron Rodgers is 7, Kirk Cousins is 8, Carson Wentz is 9, Matt Ryan is 10. So Matthew Stafford is in the middle of the uh, of the rankings there. He's about 13th when it comes to quarterbacks. He's about 13th when it comes to quarterbacks. So uh Bob and Moncton says, I like Stafford. Thanks for the answer. That makes sense. So yeah, the Rams are not hamstrung entirely by Stafford's deal. Okay. I gotta give a thought a, a, a thought here on the Bills Mafia. So yesterday I said a bunch of stuff about the Bills taking their fans, rather taking too much joy out of playing, out of beating the Patriots. And they were playing We Are the Champions on Saturday night. And I got a lot of grief from Bills fans. Bills fans who are my friends, I got a lot of grief from them on social media. So I'm here to put this to rest and address the Bills Mafia one more time. Saturday night, the win over the Patriots, was great for your fan base. From an individual game standpoint, Saturday night was perfect you deserve to be happy with that performance and you deserve to be proud of your team. Bills fans deserve to be proud of their team. I understand why they are thrilled at what transpired on Saturday night. And that said, I also understand that beating the Patriots will always bring satisfaction to Bills fans given how much they have beaten you over the years. But as I said yesterday... This idea that the Bills have exercised 20 years worth of demons on Saturday night, I'm not buying that. The Tom Brady led Patriots caused you all that heartache. The Rob Gronkowski Patriots fueled that heartache. The Julian Edelman Patriots rubbed your nose in that heartache. And you know what? None of them are there anymore. You didn't beat the Patriots who crushed your soul for 20 years. You beat a team called the Patriots wearing Patriots logos. It's not the same. Exercising demons would be beating Brady. Exercising demons would be shutting down Brady and Gronk. All you did on Saturday night was play a great game against a team called the Patriots who wears Patriots helmets. It should not be as therapeutic as it was for you. It was a great win. It is not exercising 20 years of demons. You beat a rookie quarterback on your home field. You have passed the Patriots now. That is all true. But you didn't exercise the demons. You never beat the Brady-led Patriots. You beat a Patriots team that now you are better than. So there is a new chapter in this rivalry. That's for sure. The division has flipped. But you didn't exercise the demons. Those demons are still there, and they are never going away because you never got closure. Look, the divorce happened. You moved on. You got remarried. That's great. You're happy now. But the pain of the divorce, it's still there it's never going away. You and your ex never talked about it. You never went to counseling. You never settled anything. It still eats at you. It's never going away. You didn't get any closure on that. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Look, I'm a diehard Seattle Mariners fan. I'm a Red Sox fan by work. I'm a Mariners fan by life. You know this. I know all about losing. I know the Houston Astros, I hate them with every fiber of my being. They have beat, the Houston Astros went 18-1 against the Mariners a couple of seasons ago. So I know all about having your lunch handed to you by a division rival forever. And I would love nothing more than for the Mariners to someday knock the Astros out of the playoffs. But if they knock the Astros out of the playoffs and Justin Verlander and George Springer and Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa aren't there to be a part of it, then then we just beat the Astros. We didn't exercise demons. The, the Mariners will always have gone 1-18 against the Astros, and they will have never exacted revenge on the group that did it to them. Just on a group of imposters wearing the same hat. Again, Bills Mafia, be happy with your win. You deserve it. But you didn't exercise any demons. Come on. Let's all acknowledge that. You beat a rookie quarterback at home. You were supposed to win, and you did. Now go on and try to beat the Chiefs and be happy if you do that. But it's not the same as beating Tom Brady. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Go find the podcast Jazz with George Thomas. That's next on DEV.